right. You take your Bible, take your Bible, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You'll notice there is a handout in the um, vestibule there on the table for 2 Corinthians 5, 9 is the passage. This series has been uh, a lot of fun for me. I hope it's been enjoyable for you as well. I've been looking at, uh, I just kind of collected some of my favorite counseling passages that mean a lot to me that I find helpful and strung them together. There's not much more of a theme than that. So we're just going in an order of whatever. I have about four more, I think, three or four more if we get to them, and then we'll see where we go from there. But uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, if you have your Bible, I want to go back to chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to read through these verses probably all the way through verse 11. And I want to give you a little context, and then we'll dive in uh, to this passage. Uh, Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, um, this is in a long discussion, so we don't have time to really get into tons of background, but I'd like to just read this. He says, for we know that if our earthly body, our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about the glorified body. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us a spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident from this, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body, done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well-known to God, and I trust are well-known in your conscience. I want to uh, give a little introduction as we begin here. When we play a game, we're hoping for success based on the rules of the game. That's how we do things. Um, If we misunderstand the goal of the game, we will apply the wrong strategy to win the game, and therefore we will lose the game. So think of it this way. Imagine if you had never seen a basketball game in your life before. You did not know the game of basketball. You did not understand the game of basketball. And you went to go play a game of basketball, and someone told you wrongly that to win the game of basketball, you have to pass the ball the most, more than the other team. And the team who passes the ball the most wins. So your goal would be just to get to your teammates and pass the ball as much as you can until your time runs out and the other team uh, would get the ball. And then they'd go and they'd score on a hoop. And you're like, I don't know what this basket's doing here. But our job is to pass the ball. So you inbound the ball, then you pass the ball as many times. And at the end of the game, you look at yourself and you think you, you did a really good job. You, you think you've succeeded, but you have succeeded by your metric, but by the metric that counts winning the game, you've lost. The game's going to be 150 to nothing. Like, you're not going to score. You're not going to know that your goal is to actually shoot the basket. You think that the goal would be just to pass the ball because you fail in understanding the goal or the purpose behind what you're doing on the court. You will not succeed. And if you just take that silly example into life, to succeed in life, as God calls us to, you must understand the proper purpose of life and use all the tools at your disposal to accomplish 
this goal. So to move forward, we need to properly understand, we need to identify our purpose. And that's really what this is about. What is our aim? What is our purpose? Without understanding that purpose, we cannot succeed. So what is your goal for a living? I have a question there. How would you know what your goal for a living is? Can you be sure that you are accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish? Why are you here? Why are you living? Why does God give you breath? What are you trying to accomplish in your life? What would the ideal scenario for be where all you want is accomplished? I want you to imagine your life and your mind and say, okay, I really just want this to be the success. Success equals this. What does winning look like to you? Okay, what would you be happy with if your life is going a certain way? Do you have short-term goals? Do you have long-term goals? If you do not have goals, then maybe you're just living by your feeling and not by your planning. What are you working to accomplish? What do you think about accomplishing? What are your choices aim toward? For example, are you just hoping to lose weight? Like that's in your mind. I really just want to lose 15 pounds. I really want to lose 50 pounds. I really want to lose this much weight. And if I could lose this much weight, like that's what my life is structured around. So my food and my exercise and my sleep schedule and my social engagements and all my conversations and everything's based on losing weight. Are you hoping to gain muscle? A lot of young men, it's like all about gaining muscle. So they're like, they, they have social engagements around going to the gym and they, they eat pro, high protein diets and they don't, you know, eat junk food or they, they, they sleep, a, you know, a certain amount of time or they, they don't do certain things. They do certain things. How about, how about hoping to get an education? You want to get an education. You're a kid, you're a teenager. You say, I've got to get an education, so I've got to work hard. I've got to study. Wanting to get into a good college, wanting to retire by a certain age. You say, I've got to retire, so I'm going to invest this money. I'm going to buy this house. I'm going to work this many hours. I'm not going to go on this vacation. I'm going to do this, that. I've got to retire by this age. What does happiness look like to you? These are all questions I often ask people when we're talking, when we have like a counseling kind of situation. I often ask people, so what, what is your ideal scenario? I'm trying to get at what's their goal because our goals often are misaligned from what God wants them to be. Um, are you trying to find happiness by getting certain experiences? Some people, they have bucket lists. I was just talking to my son about this. He says, Dad, do you have a bucket list? I said, where did you hear about a bucket list? And some people have in their mind, some of you might have a bucket list, but um, you know, you think I've got to accomplish certain things in order to feel success or to feel happy about my life. I want to have checked off certain things off my list. Is that really the right way to live life? I mean, I'm not saying it's not, but think about it. Uh, are you hoping happiness is going on certain vacations? We just came back from vacation. Vacation's nice, but it's not, I mean, you, you have to come home, right? It ends, and, and you can't live your life for those things. Um, how about having a certain kind of respect among a group of people? I just tried to think of all the different ways uh, that people might try to have a goal in their life. But what does the Bible say about what our goal should be? So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Let's look at this passage. It says, uh, therefore, and, he, and he's talking about in light of all these uh, eternal things, therefore, what does it say next? We make it our what? We make it our aim. Our aim is our purpose or our goal, perhaps better. We make it our goal. We make it our aim. We make it our ambition. Okay, make it our ambition. This is what we're shooting for. This is our target. This is the win state. This is like if you're playing the basketball game, I'm making my goal to shoot as many baskets as possible. It doesn't matter how many times you pass the ball. You've got to make baskets to win the game. And a lot of Christians have their eyes on something else. They're like, I I just want to be really comfortable. It doesn't matter how comfortable you are if you're not doing what God calls you to do. 
Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? Like missing the complete point of it. We make it our aim, and our aim, the word aim I have there on your, um, on your sheet, I meant to put that in English. I'm sorry. I, I, I meant to tra- transliterate that. But it's, it's the word phileo plus the word um, tamao. I think that's what it is, right? I wrote on top of it, so I can't really see. Yeah, tamao, which, uh, which has the idea of loving uh, that which is of value. What, what is your priority, in other words? What is your value thing that you love? What is your aim? What is your aim according to this passage? Therefore, whether present or absent, we make it our aim to be what? To be well-pleasing. Well-pleasing means acceptable. It means that God approves. And I I take the word God because of what follows next. To be well-pleasing what? To him, that means from his perspective, from God's perspective. Your goal in life is not to be successful, it's not to be wealthy, it's not to be happy, it's not to be comfortable, it's not to be the most best looking, it's not to be the skinniest, it's not to be the tallest, it's not to be the most educated, the best respected, or most respected. Your goal is to, your purpose, your ambition should be in everything to be well-pleasing to God. Because here's the thing, you can only control so much about your life. You, you, can, you can do, you can make a lot of right decisions and then bad things can happen and it's completely out of your control. You, you didn't do anything to deserve, things just happen. God has a plan for your life that's out of your control. You don't, you don't choose a lot of things in your life. I'm, I'm preaching this Sunday on Acts 25. And in this passage, Paul is there and the, the people who are in charge of him, the, the, the governors, he didn't choose those governors. It's not like he, they had a vote and he said, I want to pick Festus as my guy. No, these, these guys were appointed the, he, completely out of his control. You cannot choose whether you're going to be wealthy or you, you could lose everything. We could all lose everything tomorrow, like all of us. Remember, this, remember there's been things like the Great Depression in the past and, and things have happened in cultures. People have lost a lot of stuff. Wars break out. People lose everything. You could lose your health just like that. I mean, you cannot control those things, but you can be well-pleasing to God, and we're going to see why in just a second. You can choose to be well-pleasing to God. And why is this the case? And I think this is because you must have an eternal mindset about your goals. We must have an eternal mindset. He, he goes through this whole thing at the beginning of chapter 5 saying, uh, if this earthly tent is destroyed, we have a house from God, a building uh, not made with hands. And that's, if you look at the context of chapter, verse 9, he says, we make it our aim, whether present or absent. He's not talking about whether being with you in Corinth or being away from you in Corinth. He's talking about being present here or, or absent and home with, with God. If you look at the, initial, the immediate context in verse 6 and 7. So the eternal, con- eternal mindset is the best. So when I, I was thinking about this, you know, there's actually some people who say that, you know, uh, you're, to make God happy, you know, you don't need to think about, uh, that's legalistic. If you're, trying to, if you're trying to please God as being legalistic and, and don't think about that. But, you know, I, 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 um, I hope that that isn't your way of thinking. I, I started thinking about this passage this week and I, I thought, you know, I, I, um, one way to figure out what, how to please God is to say, okay, what's the opposite of pleasing God? displeasing God. Can you think of a Bible term? for? I thought of grieving the Holy Spirit. Okay, I thought, okay, what does the Bible say? How, how do we grieve the Spirit? So that's your blank there, grieving the Spirit. 
And I looked at the Bible. I said, let me just do a search through the Bible and do a search and say, what grieves God? So I looked for the word grieve and related to God. And I said, what in the Bible? This is not exhaustive, but I thought, what are some examples of things that grieve God? And so I need you to look up some verses here. We need to have to look up a lot of verses uh, in this section. So I need somebody to look up Genesis 6, 6. Psalm 78.40, you see him listed there. Psalm 95.10, Isaiah 63.10, Mark 3.5, and Ephesians 4.30. Let's start with Genesis 6.6, and I want you to help me out here and talk about what grieves God, what makes God sad, what actually causes, the word grieve means to cause severe mental or emotional distress. It means to irritate, to offend, to insult, to vex. And what grieves God. Genesis 6.6. 6. Who's got the first one? I should have assigned them. Okay, go ahead, sir. Okay, and it repenteth the Lord. The other way of saying that is God is, is sorry. God is grie- God is sad. He, he almost like, he's, he's sad that he made man on the earth. And what's the context of this, of this verse? What story are we in? Genesis 6. Noah, right? We're in Noah, pre, like right before the flood. And, it, and God is, is sad that he made man. He's sorry that he made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. What grieved God about Adam's, I'm sorry, about Noah's contemporaries? What was their wickedness? Okay. Every, like wickedness, right? General wickedness. We could say uh, so what, what grieves God? You could say wickedness, general wickedness. What was it specifically about Noah's generation? Do you remember? There was, there was violence, violence. There was violence in the land, okay, severe violence. There's also sexual immorality. But violence, wickedness, immorality, these things grieve God. Okay, it, why is it that these things grieve God so much, do you think? What, when you commit violence against someone, what are you doing? Yeah, you're, you're marring the image of God. You're assaulting the image of God. Right, God made man in his image. When we abuse that image, when we, when we uh, violate someone, when we create harm on that person. Um, we are showing what we think about the image bear, or the image that that person is bearing. And the illustration I always give is that, you know, if, if you walked into my office and just for a meeting and you looked up on my wall and there on my wall, shocked, your surprise is a picture of your mother with a bunch of darts in it. And you're like, Pastor Marshall, why do you have a picture of my mom with darts in the face on your dartboard in your office? What are you doing? I'm like, well, it's just a dartboard. That's my mom. No, it's not. It's a picture of your mom. It's the same thing, right? If I, if I throw darts at a picture of your mother, it shows what I think about your mother. It's, fen- it's offensive. And the reason it's offensive is because that picture is not just a picture. It's an image of someone. And you are made in the image of God. So when you mistreat your body, or when you mistreat someone else's body, or when you abuse someone, or when you hurt someone, you're, sh- you're, you're, you're showing actually hatred for God. So that's part of it. And same thing goes for sexual morality as well. How about the next, the next verse here? Psalm 7840. Yes, sir. Tony. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Okay, who's it talking about? Who's the, who's the audience or who's the people who were, who were wicked? Children of, Israel. Children of Israel. And what's the context here? Uh, wandering in the 
okay? And what's the sin that they were engaged in in the wilderness? That it said how often they provoked him, how they grieved him in the desert. Well, complaining, okay? Can you think of anything else? Rebellion? Okay. Yeah, I, that's the one I was going to is, is, is uh, unbelief. Unbelief or lack of trust. Um, that, well, Lord, why did you drag us out here in the wilderness? It would be better if we died in Egypt. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, you know, lack of trust, complaining, rebellion, all these things, they provoked God. Also, Psalm 95.10, we have the, the same context, the same um, historical context. Randy. So what is it? What sin is, is are we talking about here? Yeah, their hearts hearts are far from God. These are things that grieve God, right? Let's keep going. Um, Isaiah sixty three ten. Yes, Katie. What was the sin of the nation of Judah? Rebellion, right? Rebellion, idolatry. If you study the exile from Babylon, it was uh, forgetting God, rebelling against him, and committing idolatry, right? Syncretism, all those kinds of things. Um, they rebelled, so God gave them over to exile. He actually turns against them. He becomes their enemy, it says. How about Mark 3, 5? Yes, sir. Chris. And when he uh, had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and the hand was restored and whole as the other. Who, who is grieved? Jesus is grieved. What is he grieved about? Hard hearts. Yeah, what did you say, Tony? Basically, the, yeah, hardness of heart. In fact, it says he actually has wrath at them. He's angry at them. He's, he's, he's angered at their lack, of unbelief, their lack of belief and their hardness of hearts. And so he says, stretch out your hand. And he actually does a miracle here in Mark um, 3. Um, how about Ephesians 4.30? Yes, sir, Charles. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is where I get the, the uh, phrase grieving the Spirit. And we talked about this actually one of the first weeks we did this series, and that's talking about your speech, right? Uh, if you look at the context of that, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Your speech, so bad speech can grieve God. So you could actually look at these, and you could say to yourself, well, I could basically do the opposite of if I do the opposite of those things, I won't be, I won't be grieving God. If I, if I do these things, I am actually grieving God. And I, is, it, is it possible for believers to do these things? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And your life can be this way, and it can be missing the purpose that God has for you. Your life, I, I, you know, if you are not, 
If you are enmeshed in these things, let's say your life is soaked in idolatry and rebellion. If your life is soaked in a hard heart and your speech is foul, if you complain a lot, if you have unbelief, if you don't trust God, if you have wickedness and violence and immorality in your heart, then you're not living with the goal of pleasing God. You're missing the target big time. So um, let's look at uh, one verse here before we dive into, um, can somebody read John 12, 42 and 43? John 12, 42 and 43. Somebody got it? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I didn't see your hand. Yeah, look at that last phrase. These people, they were consumed here. So he says, among the rulers, some believed, but some did not, because they loved the praise of men more than what? The praise of God. Think about this. When there is the eternal rewards coming where God will praise you for something, he will say, good job, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, he's not going to praise you like we praise God, like we say, oh, you're the greatest or anything like that. But there is an element where God is pleased with your obedience. Here, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They loved receiving praise from men more than they loved receiving praise from God. So let's look at, so that I, I think you can, the second thing is pleasing God. You can please God. It's possible to please God. And what kind of things might God praise us for? And I use that, I put that word in bold and italicized to kind of make sure you understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that, that God's going to, going to turn, he's not worshiping us or anything like that. This is not that kind of praise. This is that God is commending us. Maybe that's a better word to commend us. The commendation of men versus the commendation of God. God will actually commend us for these things. Hebrews chapter, and he will be pleased with these things. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Heather? So what is the first thing that pleases God? Faith. Look at the contrast here with uh, unbelief. Right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God is pleased when we have faith. Okay? God loves it when his children trust him. And I think there's echoes of this in the way that we love it when our kids trust us. Like, it's fun. It's, it's neat when your kids trust you, they believe you. And they, and they, and they, they, they love you. They trust you. That, there's, a, there's a warmness that comes to your heart, and you're pleased with that. It doesn't make any parent happy when their kids don't trust them. And God's much the same way. He, without faith, it's impossible to please God. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. How about this one? First Samuel 15, 22. Yes, ma'am, Patty. Has God as great a delight? God delights in what? Obedience more than sacrifice. Which means he delights in sacrifice too, but what he really delights in is obedience. This is why we sing trust and obey, for there's no other way, right? Faith and obedience are foundational if, if, to please the Lord. If you believe God and you obey God because these are tied together. If you believe God, will you obey him? 
Yes, absolutely. The reason you don't obey is because you don't believe Him. Normally, you believe yourself. It's a choice at the heart. We say, I, I'm choosing to believe myself. I think that my way is better than God's way. If you believe that God's way is better, normally you will, you will obey. Trust and obedience are connected. Also, Proverbs 21.3 is connected with the same. The same. Yes, sir, Randy? Okay, again, to do righteousness and justice. So, obedience is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. We ought to, uh, you know, sacrifice is good, but obedience is better. How about Matthew 25, 21, and 1 Timothy 3, 13? Who can do Matthew 25? Charles? His Lord, that said, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Okay, this is a parable. And the parable is of the talents, the king who gives his servants talents, which is where our word talent comes from. You know, the English word talent, which we use to mean gift or ability. God, uh, the word talentos in the Greek is a unit of money. A talent is a unit of money. And they would give talents. One guy got five, one guy got three, one guy got one. With the five talents, what did the man with five talents do? He invested it, came back, and had how many? Ten. Man with three, invested it, came back with six. Man with one did what? Buried it. He said, I know you were a harsh man, and you would, you know, so I was scared, and so I didn't do anything with it. So think about it. When he commends them for working their talents, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He gives them a commendation. He, he, says, he says, he gives them approval. How about this next verse, 1 Timothy 3.13? Uh, yes, Chris? I think this is also speaking to the fact that before God, if you serve faithfully, faithfulness is, by the way, is the, is the third one I have here, obedience and faithfulness, um, that there is, a, there is a blessing, there are crowns uh, for those who are obedient and who are faithful in, the, in their service, and that is an encouraging thing. How about um, this next one, First uh, uh, Peter 1, 7. Uh, yeah, Sebastian. May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the genuineness of your faith may be found to praise. You will receive praise, honor, and glory at when Christ is revealed. Um when your faith, your faith being genuine is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. You will receive blessings. I mean, it is, it's amazing as you start looking, endurance also, endurance is what I picked up here, is, is, is God approves of endurance. God loves it when his children are enduring. Um, maybe one more here, last one, and I have several verses. First, James 2.8. Uh, yes, ma'am. You are doing well. What does God approve of? Compassion for other people, loving other people. Micah 6 8. Yes, sir. Tony. Yeah, 
What does God require of you? What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly? I think compassion on others fits here as well. And then Hebrews 13, 16. Wind on this one, Katie. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You know what that verse in our translation here, New King James says, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You know what that word is? It's the same word we had at the very beginning, to be, what's your aim? To be well pleasing to God. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So I, I, this is not a checklist Christianity saying, if you do these things, boom, 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 then you'll be pleasing to God in all, in all states. I think this is a heart issue. Out of the heart, out of a good heart flow, good behavior, faith, obedience, faithfulness, endurance. And I think the fifth one I had was compassion or love. Again, this is um, not exhaustive. This is just an idea. I wanted to get in our mind this conclusion. So look at the conclusion, then we'll take a couple questions. We must interpret the circumstances of our lives through this principle. How can I please the Lord in this situation? This is what it comes down to. We talked about what can we please God? I think absolutely you can choose to please God in your situation. You might find yourself in a very difficult situation, but in this situation, how can you please God? Well, I can show faith, obedience, faithfulness, endurance, and compassion. Can you do that in your current situation? Then you can please God. Okay? And, and I think a lot, we overthink, we, we sometimes make uh, pleasing God a very complicated thing, and it's really not according to Scripture. I just looked up Scripture. What I did here was similar to what I did with grieving the Spirit. I looked up how can we please God. I looked up words related to pleasing God, words related to doing well, and how God, do, and this is, this is what, uh, this is a short, short list of some things I came up with. What are, what are some, um, uh, you know, we think about our, our circumstances we face, and we can tend to interpret circumstances differently than this. And, and, and what I'm trying to get you to think of is when you see your difficulties, when you see your troubles, you've got to refocus on what is my aim, what is my goal? Because if I get my goal out of whack, if I think I'm trying to do one thing when really what, I'm try, what God calls me to do is this, I, I'm going to miss the whole point. I'm going to miss the whole target. I'm not going to be successful at all. Any comments or questions or clarifications or anything you want to mention? Yes, sir, Randy. Can you read again your conclusion? Sure. Uh, our purpose in life is not to be comfortable, happy, rich, or successful. Our purpose and our goal must be well-pleasing to God. We can be well-pleasing to God when we are obedient, we follow his word, and demonstrate faith. Therefore, here it is, we must interpret the circumstances of our lives. Interpret the circumstances of our lives through the lens of this principle. How can I please the Lord in this situation? Maybe better said, the lens of this question. How can I please the Lord? How can I Please the Lord in this situation. How can I be well-pleasing to God? That's what he says. Our aim, our purpose is to be well-pleasing to God. So everything you have, you should think of in terms of how can I be well-pleasing to God in this situation? Is that how, was that, did I answer your blank you were looking for? There's a guy at the counseling conference, he always calls it spanking the blanks. You know, you got to go in there and spank the blanks and get them all. And there's blank people who, if they don't, they don't get all the blanks, they, they have mild heart attacks, so... Anybody else miss a blank? I'm just teasing you, Randy. Uh, other questions or comments or, or thoughts? Um, anything? You see, you see the point? You see what I'm trying to say? What's your goal? What's your aim? And the way you can find out your goal is you can say, okay, my goal is to please God, but then what are you trying to actually accomplish? What are you trying to actually get? And if you find yourself uh, consumed with, I've just got to 
you know, retire at this age. I've just got to have this much money in the bank account. I've just got to get this particular thing done or have kids who do this. Um, I, I will, I will take, I'll give you one more illustration, then I'm, then I'm done. And I'm going to give you the cheat code. Are you ready? So often when I sit down with a couple, I'll say something to this effect. I'll say something like, um, what, what is, in your marriage, what is the ideal setting? What is the ideal scenario? What would be the best takeaway from our counseling sessions that we have together? What would be the ideal? Like, what are you looking for in this? And this? And often the wife will say, like, if, she's, if her husband is distant, she'll say, well, I just want us to be closer. I want our family to be closer. And if the, if the wife is, is um, uh, too anxious, the husband will say, I just want us to be more like not anxious. I want us to be trusting God, you know, or something like that. And, and I'll notice that both of them will pick on the other person's fault and failure and will say, well, they need to change. And, uh, and, and I'll say, well, what your, your goal should be as a husband is I want my wife and I want myself to be well-pleasing to God in this circumstance. Okay, we may never overcome certain you know, you may never be able to change the fact that your wife does things a certain way. If she folds clothes a certain way and you're just irritates you to death, you may never be able to change that. And wife, if your husband just, if he snores and you don't really like that and you're like, I just wish my husband didn't snore, it drives me crazy. You know what? God gave you a husband that snores. I'm sorry. You know, maybe that's just the way it is. I don't know. There are certain things you can't change, but the, you know what you can always do is you can always please God in your current situation. You can choose to please God in this situation and honor God. And that's not based on anybody else's right decisions. That's based on your right decisions. Okay. You can't change your husband or your wife. can't change your kids. You can please God and you can train your kids. You can love your wife. You can try. Does that make sense? Can I see what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Thanks so much for your good attention tonight. I hope, I hope that helps a little bit. Something to think about. One of my favorite verses to go to for just helping us think about what is our real goal in life? What's our ambition? What's our our aspiration. What are we looking to try to do? And I hope that tonight you can say, I'm, I'm just trying to please God. That's all I want to do. I just want to make God happy. I want to please the Lord. I don't care if anybody else loves me. I don't care if anybody else cares. I want to please God. That's our main goal. Father, we thank you so much for your word that gives us this, um, this the truth that we need to aspire to please you and, and not really worry about what everybody else um, pleasing other people. I pray that we would not be people pleasers, but God pleasers and that we would really, in our behavior and our actions, seek to please not ourselves, but you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good night.